Tale Chase Podcast. I'm Nick Mazzara. Graham Scarborough here. And we are sitting in Graham's dungeon of a basement. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty posh dungeon. I mean, I have a big screen TV, lounge chair, couch, bed, laptop, <laughs> two bathrooms. Torture rack. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, you're living with your grandparents going to nursing school yeah. right now, and this is... Or yeah, it's, I mean, I don't, I don't really have anything to complain about, you know, I mean, like, no. I am a, you know, well, basically a nurse now, so that's, like, good for them, but, I mean, they're letting me live here for free, so, who's really winning? <laughs> I'll leave that one alone. Um, so, today, we're going to talk about Selena, the Prairie Falcon, and her second season, and a little bit about how our molt is going. Yeah. And maybe talk about uh, an upcoming podcast that we've got planned. Okay. Yeah, we can touch base on that a little bit. So, okay, I'm not privy to that. Well, what were we doing? Part of what we were doing last weekend. Was it last weekend? Or the weekend before? Fishing? Yeah, and babysitting. Oh, Ch- oh yeah, hawk sitting. Yeah. Good times. So, yeah. Graham's dad uh, is a falconer and has been for almost half a century. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, I never put it in those terms before, but yeah. Yeah, and he was my sponsor and Graham's sponsor. Helped me get started in the sport, has been a major influence in my life, uh, and has some pretty incredible stories. And yeah, he's seen some things. He's agreed to come on the podcast at some point, and what we were doing last weekend is babysitting a chick. Mm-hmm. That uh, yeah, he uh, he took a imprint goshawk this year. Mm-hmm. Um, she's now about thirty thirty five days old, and um, it's it's an experience caring for a a baby hawk because they're just. I don't know. I mean, they're, it's kind of like a child, you know, because they, they do need your almost your constant attention, but I don't know. She She's kind of weird um, because she was pulled a little bit later than than the birds that I'm used to dealing with when I've dealt with imprints. Um, she was taken at like mm, eh, 20 days, and the ones that I've dealt with have typically been pulled at like 10 days. And that or actually makes younger. a huge difference. Yeah. yeah. And you're also used to dealing the chicks that you've dealt with in the past with where you were working previously yeah. were uh, jerk fal- falcons. Jerk falcons. Yeah. Which are a lot more um, gregarious and uh, social yeah. than jer- or than goshawks. Yeah. They're like little puppy dogs almost. <laughs> it was this is the first uh, chick that I've interacted with in that way, and it was really interesting for me to see i know you were like oh my gosh it's so cute and i was like are you serious this seems like a lizard compared to <laughs> I mean, like what i'm used to like, i mean it's cute Watching it's just it, like, play. It's, when i say cute like it's just really interesting seeing a bird like i i've, I've seen them in their final form we see the finished product yeah and so to yeah. like see one like oh hardly be able to stand like yeah tumble around and stuff like it's it's cute. Like yeah. It's, yeah. Oh, it's amazing how far they have to go. I mean, in such a and, short time. Right, and yeah. I think that like humans are actually 
kind of similar to birds in one of the ways is that how dependent their young are on their parents mm-hmm. like for a long time you know relatively yeah. speaking it's actually not that long but like like a, a baby pheasant is like running around after a couple hours you know what I mean yeah like they're up and moving a little falcon chick is not sitting upright moving around the nest ledge for days you yeah. know what I mean it's a much yeah. longer period of and dependency what they usually are flying like 60 days uh, earlier than that I think they're bit. about hard pinned which means their feathers are no longer in the blood they're like basically dead tissue at that point you know what I mean um, they're yeah, like I the feathers are grown yeah. in and they're set um, yeah, in, in the blood days. basically just means a feather that's still growing yeah for you uninitiated out there yeah um so it's it's an interesting that, like experience 45 days then that they're kind of yeah. hopping around the tree and all that yeah i mean this bird that uh, my dad has uh she's hopping around on the little perches that he has and she started doing that at 25 30 25 days 30 gotcha. days um, like she was, you know, hopping up on the chair and stuff by the mm-hmm. time I was in there. So, yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're also molting out a prairie falcon, correct? That's right. Yeah. She's taking her sweet time about it. Prairie falcons are kind of a challenge because like they're just, they're so, the ones that I've dealt with are so dang wild and they mm-hmm. just don't, they just don't domesticate or like tamed down very easily um you know you hear stories about like tundra peregrines that are eaten off the fist hours after you trapped them out of the wild or like i mean the opposite end of the spectrum like a harris hawk that people like pet like, yeah like actively touch their back and then it doesn't bother them mm-hmm. they're, they're much more uh, easily habituated species to human presence right so this this prairie falcon she's um she's she's just kind of a spaz you know i'm having to be real careful about going into the chamber to pick up any molted feathers or anything Mm -hmm. um and uh and part of that's just being fat and overweight and sassy and yeah and summertime and and then also you know in the molt typically uh people falconers that are just doing falconry um don't interact with their birds a whole lot in the molt. Some people like to as a matter of preference, but um, most people that I know don't. Yeah. Um, they just kind of leave them alone, keep them fat, let their feathers grow back in, and then take them back out in the fall. Yeah. So. Um, and for those of you who don't know, birds of pretty much every kind uh, molt in the summertime or at some point in the year um, which means they drop their feathers that they grew in from the previous year and grow in new ones and typically they grow in a certain sequence so they'll drop one and start mm-hmm. growing that feather back and then drop the next one rather than drop a large yeah, amount I mean, of them they can't so drop them all at once or yeah. else now, they'd starve Right, starve yeah. or Wouldn't be able to fly, or uh, 
Yeah, right. Yeah, and it would be a, a taxing load on them nutritionally mm-hmm. speaking. Yeah. Now, th- there are some species that become relatively flightless during the molt. Mm. Uh, geese, in particular, are that way. I'd, I'd have to I'd have to look and see if waterfowl are that way. But that's how a lot of the banding projects and stuff. Uh, that's huh. uh, like up north, mm-hmm. like in the tundra and stuff. Yeah, my brother-in-law. Uh, did some banding that way up in Alaska for oh. speckabellies. Is this Ryan or um, Curtis? Curtis. Mm-hmm. Where's he at now? He's in Wisconsin. He's a fur bear biologist up there, so he helps like put on the trapping mm-hmm. seasons and the clinics and stuff and administration of. Anyway, so falcons and hawks they molt, you know, just a few feathers at a time typically mm-hmm. uh, because they need to. They're feeding chicks at the mm-hmm. same time that they're molting, and they don't want to have too many feathers gone mm-hmm. where they're having to expend extra calories growing feathers and extra calories flying uh, because they're missing feathers. Um, and <clears throat> something else that actually, like, I'd thought about this before, but it just occurred to me again. Have you ever thought about with, like, primaries, which are, like, basically think about, like, the fingers on your hand, those would be the equivalent feathers on a on a bird's wing, those first 10, I think it is, mm-hmm. um, or eight, somewhere around there. Uh, do you know why they molt from inside out as opposed to outside in? I don't. So think about it. If they were to drop, like, digits number one and two mm-hmm. and then start growing them, and then, so, you know, imagine those those feathers are gone, and they're growing in, and they're in the blood, mm-hmm. and then they drop three and four. Which, so, when he's saying one and two, I'm looking at his hands, you can't see him, he's like, you know, making it so that his index and middle finger... Yeah, we're ca- we're calling those one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, As like you're, this. you're holding out your hands like you're doing jazz hands. Right, so, they drop one and two, start growing them back. Now, imagine if they drop three and four... While one and two are still growing, one and two are growing without any support immediately behind them. Mm-hmm. So if they do any bumping against anything or anything like that, they don't have anything supporting them as they're growing in. Mm-hmm. You know yeah, what I mean? Laterally speaking. Yeah. But if you drop them from inside out, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Those feathers don't get near the trauma that those leading feathers get. Sure. And so by the time numbers one and two are growing in everything else is basically grown in up to that point gotcha yeah you know that what makes I mean? sense which like just blows my mind at how it's just another example of how like beautiful evolution is and yeah. like how perfectly designed mm-hmm. the, yeah. like yeah yeah that's really incredible cool. yeah. or like sorry one more thing i You're saw good. this you know have you seen that picture where people were like um there was a picture of a peregrine falcon in a stoop kind of in profile recently floating around Facebook and then people started posting like Peregrine Falcon imitates B fifty two bomber in a dive. Did you uh, see that? I didn't see that. So it like I, shows... I saw I saw the picture that compared the profile of the Peregrine versus the B fifty two, but I hadn't seen that that particular comment. Okay. So that was like the caption. It was like Falcon <laughs> imitates airplane. Yeah, I think it's and then the I was way like, around. Nope. <laughs> yeah. I think that it went the other way. Yeah. We're trying, because we still haven't figured out how to maneuver the way that falcons can. No. No, and 
yeah. Falcon Peregrine Falcons have been around a lot longer than a B fifty two. Yeah. But and it, might it not is have been a very B fifty two. It was. might have been a B two. B I thought a B fifty two was a big fat airplane. It's a stealth bomber is the it one. is? Yeah. Well, it's a stealth okay, bomber. What, what, the big what black the, yeah. bomber stealth right. thing. I don't know what model it is. Yeah. It doesn't I matter. I don't remember for sure now. Yeah, but yeah. And I'm molting out a red tail and it's interesting one of the phenomenon that happens whenever you have a bird that is in captivity and going through the molt typically they don't not typically often they don't follow that normal sequence Mm -hmm. and i don't know whether that's because they're not having a load on those feathers consistently the same way that they would if they're having different stimulation that they get in the wild that they're not getting in captivity I, I have not heard a, a theory on that, but it's interesting. I don't know. I mean, it, I think that just depends on your experience and species. Because, like, the birds that I've molted have followed and a pattern. Some do, but it's a yeah. it's a common thing that the, oftentimes that they don't. Or they'll okay. drop more at a time than they would otherwise. And yeah. that's this bird. She's almost done molting. Like, she's got... Her full tail mm-hmm. in almost completely finished growing. Hmm. Um, her primaries are almost completely done. Her secondaries, I'm pretty sure, are done. Okay. And so, like, so like number one and two primaries are in. I I'd have to look. I she doesn't let me touch her too much. Yeah. I mean, so I I couldn't say for sure, but yeah. you can see him poking through. I'm not actually sh- certain that she's dropped number one, but okay. I know that she's dropped. The majority of her primaries, I'd have to count up what mm-hmm. is there. But she, yeah, she's very close to being done with the molt, and she dropped a lot of feathers all at once. She was dropping two or three a day. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'd go in there, and I mean, had her whole tail like half grown in, and only one mm-hmm. immature feather sticking yeah. out. So yeah, it's interesting, kind of like his his prairie. Uh-huh. Is barely getting started. Yeah, my red tail is almost done. Right, that's no, just interesting. And my yours, well, mine I'm keeping on on a light the whole time. So like, one of the things that cues their body to start molting is photo period. Now I don't really understand it because some people have have used extended periods of darkness with intermittent periods of light and had the same effect as extended periods of light or or just light on all the time yeah it, i don't understand how photo period works in terms of uh accelerating the molt or playing its part in the molt i know that it's related mm-hmm. so like i was i'm running her on a light all the time and trying to get that molt to speed up yeah that's but, an interesting uh, interesting thing and you know another kind of tidbit not related to falconry in that regard is that uh like cervids though the deer family Mm -hmm. drop their antlers every year and the time of year that they drop their antlers or or tend to drop their antlers varies from year to year yeah and they're not totally 100 percent sure why that is Mm -hmm. it does seem to be related to photo period weather what kind of stress they were put under mm-hmm. you know from does how, antler how, size play any part in that i'm not sure because i've, I've heard sure. some you know old well not old wives tales but old 
hunter's tail. It's like, oh, big antlers, they drop sooner because yeah. it's so heavy. You know, that that does, I don't know if it's because it's heavy that that well, would be the case. Well, I don't even know if it's true. I, I think that there probably is some truth to that. Yeah. Because it seems like to me, at least anecdotally, mm-hmm. a lot of the bucks that like seem to be holding the longest are not typically big old big bucks. big framed deer yeah. now why they drop early i don't know that it's they've got that that mass of bone that they have has leverage to pull off the pedicle or pedestal mm-hmm. um it, it probably has something to do with that as well as when they lay down which is tip is the majority of the time when they shed that you know oh, it, it has yeah. leverage on it it could also be that those bucks tend to be more active during the breeding time of year and so they have more stress on their body yeah uh, but there was an interesting experiment done that they put deer in uh an area where they could control the photo period yeah and i don't know that they actually did it but it was theorized at least i, I have not read the actual study i got it secondhand uh that they could cause them to cycle their antlers twice a year that they could get mm. them to grow them and drop them quick enough that they theorized that they could get them to do it twice in a year in a in an annual calendar year. And were they able to do it? I I, you don't said, I don't I don't think that that was part of the study that they did it, but that mm-hmm. they were able to get them to do it quick enough that it was like, oh yeah, you could fit this into one calendar year. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So let's uh, let's jump into. Season two, yeah, with Selena. Yeah, so left off season one. How? When you put her up for the molt. Um. So we had the injury, the wing injury. She had to sit out for a week. Uh, we went up to Nebraska, chased some prairie chickens around. It, I mean, we didn't. We were. I don't even know if you could call it hunting them. We were more harassing them. We didn't have a chance. Prairie chickens are really hard. Um, but then I brought her home, had some struggles. It was springtime. It was warm. She didn't want to fly anymore. She just wanted to sit around and find a boyfriend. And, uh, so it was time to, uh, put her up for the molt and just fatten her up and, and molt her out. And, um, about that time, I uh, took a job out in Washington State at a falcon breeding facility. And um, so at the end of March, I moved out there and uh, molted her. And um, and the molt went okay. Uh, had some issues with uh, foot problems um, fairly early in the molt. And so I had to actually pull her out, address that those foot problems. She uh, had some sores on the pads of her feet. Um, it was kind of a mystery because the the facilities are were top notch. I mean, the um, breeder that I was working for has excellent facilities. Keeps uh, probably over a hundred gerfalcons in these same facilities and has very few foot problems mm-hmm. if any i mean i only saw it one time and it was with a, a peregrine who kind of was a head case but um yeah, i got got to go out there and uh fly with you 
Yeah. Now, when you were out there working and got to kind of poke around a little bit and see yeah some of the facilities and it it's pretty They're incredible. Pristine. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty incredible. And I've I've seen some other breeders too, which yeah. you know, were uh, it's it, it's pretty incredible seeing the level to which the details of those oh, guys like go ex- to, to. Yeah, you worried about, like, the windows and exposed edges. And, I mean, people go very detailed when they're setting up a molting space for the mm-hmm. bird. And it's, you know, it, th- those little things whenever you're setting up a chamber for um, a bird for falconry, you know, they matter, but they matter a lot less, it seems like, whenever you're trying to set it up for breeding. Everything needs to be right. Mm-hmm to minimize the problems that you're going to have and maximize the chance of successful cat mm-hmm. breeding. Now, that's a world I haven't even dabbled in. You know, it's just something I've been on the periphery of. But yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's thing. a specific reason for every perch in that room, mm-hmm. you know, and why it is where it is and the way it's designed. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was kind of a mystery because I, I kept noticing that she was laying down in her room which if hmm. you see that your bird is laying down a lot especially if that's a change from their normal mo i mean that's reason to be suspicious um some birds are chill like maybe an imprint you wouldn't worry about it so much because you're just like oh they're just relaxed mm-hmm. but um passage prairie laying down something's not right but we never and we were around all the time we never saw her like bouncing around or you know, she seemed very comfortable in her chamber. Saw her bathing a few times. Um, so I, I don't know why she developed those foot problems, and I never had any issues after that. So I, I don't know. But um, pulled her out, had to fix up her feet, and then during that molt, um, so you remember the wing injury, right? How mm-hmm. the um, basically where her uh, alula, which would be like our thumb, um, and then those first uh, four feathers, those first four primaries on that wing, um, right where they attached is where the swelling and the oozing was. Mm-hmm. And so during, uh, while I was taking care of her feet, uh, I was molting her on a block. And one day I go out there and all four of those feathers came out. They were on the ground in a chunk. All four feathers were like glued together her immature feathers yeah Mm. yeah so and they were all kind of bound by this crusty dried substance i don't know what just you know uh some kind of exudate from the wound and uh and so then it was a big question of how many of those are gonna grow back because a bird minus four main fly feathers on one side I don't know what their flying would be like. She maybe would have an in, a future as an education bird. Um, but in terms of hunting, no. I yeah. I don't think she would have had a chance. Um, yeah, I can remember that phone call. That was not uh, not a fun time. No, I it just it was devastating. Um, and so I talked to a veterinarian um, about it who, the same vet who uh, took uh, the x-ray for me when she injured it and the only thing that he had to offer was that maybe the swelling um got bad enough to the point that it cut off circulation to 
um, the very tip of that wing and that the tissue died mm-hmm. and then kind of I mean it didn't die and then rot but it like died and basically just it's like oh uh, I don't know how you describe it maybe like a like an amputee's stump like it you cut it off and like yeah it still gets some vasculature down there at the stump but it's not anything like what it was you know in terms of sensation and everything um so basically what happened is uh all those four feathers turns, came out it turns like scar tissue is yeah. basically what it does yeah yeah and uh and then only two grew back and it was the two proximal feathers so she was minus two primaries on one side. The leading edge, the two right, leading edge primaries. Right, the two primaries. leading edge primaries. So like so if, was, you, if you're holding your thumbs up towards uh, the, ceiling. The, the ceiling and your hands are outstretched, you know, that's like a bird flying. It'd be your index and your ring finger, or index and middle finger. Right. And uh, so then, even then it was like, how effective is she actually going to be even just minus uh, two primaries Mm -hmm. um and so but i was gonna you know give it a shot um so i uh got her out and i really wasn't sure how i was gonna train her because i felt like the kite was a mixed success at best um because i just worked so hard to get her to accept that method of training and it was it was a big struggle um and a lot of people who train passage falcons like a more natural method, um, like basically just taking them out when conditions are conducive to thermaling or just to going up. So like maybe even uh, late morning or early afternoon when there's um, thermals, warm air rising, and they'll turn the bird loose, and then they'll throw out the lure or throw out a, a pigeon, and then the bird comes in and kills it and eats it. And then it's just a matter of building off of that association. And some guys say that um, with a passage falcon, you're going to build that bond that you need to build with them much quicker than you would trying to train them to some completely foreign and unnatural contraption. Well, your, your first job is to get them to look up. Look up, your food is up there. And then, then you got to transition to, okay, I want you to look up, go up but then I want you to look back down mm-hmm. and, you know, right. watch for me to throw something out for you or call you down to the lure. Right. And then I want you to not have anything up there and just decide to go up because I've built that habit into yeah. you now. Now, it's not to say that kite training isn't effective. Because no, it's it, super It definitely effective. is, but it it's does not have, supernatural. Yeah, and it does definitely have some drawbacks. And if you have, you know ready access to pigeons and the time and the right attitude in a bird mm-hmm. that they're kind of get the program mm-hmm. that that type of training that you're talking about right. can be really beneficial from what I have heard. Yeah. And I think that's from you and I talk and I think that's what I'm going to do with that peregrine. Yeah. Lord willing that I trap one. Yeah. Um, it's just the thing about the kite is it gives you this maybe it's false but a sense of security mm-hmm. like if i just go out with my bird 
with no contraption, no training whatsoever, and turn it loose, I have no reason to think that it's that it's going to go up. Like, well, I mean, you have some reason, but like, there's no direct reason for them to go up. Yeah. But if you train them to a parachute in the yard, and then you train them to the kite, you know, and you work your way up, then it's like you have that sense of security that there's a routine to it, you sure. know, that you've been building from there's, day one. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a, an element of repeatability that you don't have with that other aspect of training. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, for Consistency. sure. Consistency. Right, so, but... Based on uh, the recommendations of some more experienced guys, I decided I was going to try no kite first. Mm. And I really wasn't sure what to expect. Um, turned her loose a couple times. Each time, she just took off on a beeline on the deck. And ideally what you want is to be facing into the wind, and they take off, and immediately you throw out a pigeon. And so they turn around and they come down and get the pigeon or the lure. And then the next time you take them out, you let them go a little bit further. And because they're flying into the wind, they naturally go a little bit higher. And then you do it again. And then you just let them go a little bit further and you do it again. And so each session they go further out and further up and further out and further up. And all the while they're looking back over their shoulder at you. And so what you're trying to hopefully instill in them is the connection between pumping their wings into the wind and looking at you. That's what you're trying to get them to uh, connect with. And um, she did not do that. She just took off flying along the deck like prairie falcons naturally do. And I was just like, you know what? She knows what the kite is. She should accept it uh, better this year than she did last year. I'm going to give it a shot. So I got her onto the kite, got her up to like 300 feet, maybe 500 feet, bagged a few things, and had no problems. The kite was rattling at times, and she had no problem going under the kite. She didn't go, she had this habit of going way downwind and then coming back to the kite, which was always very stressful because a lot of times, well, not a lot of times, but sometimes they go downwind and then they turn to come back. And then by that time, they've, like, run out of gas, and they're like, no, this is way too much effort, and they just drift away downwind. But didn't have that issue. And actually, for the remaining years after that, she never refused to go to the kite, mm. ever. And I put, and I would do it in real serious wind and stuff. And she was very, very loyal to the kite, in years two, three, and four. Hmm. First year was a struggle. After that, it was awesome. Um, so then, first time off the kite. Now, this is like my first big long wing. Um, first time, like, turning her... Well, no. First time for the season, turning her loose and just hoping she's going to go up and do everything right. So, um, I turn her loose... And she starts going up, and I'm like, okay, good, good. And she's going up and going upwind. And I'm like, oh, wow, she's going upwind. And she gets further out and further up and further out and further up. 
and just pumping, pumping, pumping the whole time, not setting her wings, and eventually... No, go ahead. What? Is she, like, tacking back and forth into the wind, or is she Ringing, just... kind okay. of. She, she didn't tack a whole lot. She mostly was a ringer. Okay. Um, so where she'd turn into the wind, gain altitude, turn back with the wind at her back, kind of maintain that altitude until she turned into the wind a little bit and started mm-hmm. going up. Yeah, she just... It's like, like, a, a, spiral. like a corkscrew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so she's... By, and she is, like, at the edge of binocular vision at this point. So I've, like, got my binoculars in one hand and my hand in my pocket on my pigeon in the other hand and my whistle in my mouth. And, like, she's just a speck. And so I blow the whistle a couple times um, to make to hopefully make sure she's looking. I have no idea if she actually is. And I launch this pigeon into the air. And the pigeon starts flying in circles around me. And, uh, and, and I like lost her in the binoculars. So I don't know if she's like gone. I don't know if she's coming back. I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so the pigeon has by now flown like two or three circles around me, you know, and I'm like, oh crap, you know, I'm like freaking out mm-hmm. and on the inside. And then I like am looking and then all of a sudden I like hear this hissing sound, you know, and I just see this brown speck come out of the blue or out of the gray because um, the sky was overcast that day and just and smoke this pigeon. <laughs> and and I just I was exhilarated. It was like I have arrived like a year of beating my head against the wall a stressful molt where it was not certain, you know, she had the foot problem. It was not certain that we would even, that I would even have a bird to fly the following fall. No, there was definitely talk of, over that molt of trying to find some fitment for her, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in like you said, an educational setting or a breeding project or something. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just like the culmination I mean, it wasn't hunting, you know, that's the ultimate culmination, but it was like, we're off the training wheels that might as well have been a hunt. Like she went out, she went up, she did the right thing. I rewarded her with a, with quarry. We're on our, we're on a roll. We're yeah. ready to start hawking. Yeah. All that was missing was a dog on point yeah. and, and, or, uh, you know, cover of yeah. Yeah. So... Um, but, uh, little did I know that that, I still was going to have struggles after that, in that season. So then, um, it was a matter of starting to look for slips. Now with Hans, which are a really fun, kind of medium-sized quarry, they're about, they're between a quail and a pheasant in size. Um, they're Mm, about... Aren't they between, like, a quail and a chucker? They, yeah, they are okay. a bit smaller than a chucker. I think okay. a chucker is maybe, I think a hun is like three, four hundred grams, and maybe a chucker's like four or five hundred grams. Okay. Um. So they're they're people shoot chuckers thinking they're huns in places where uh, habitat overlaps. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times on those steep slopes, you know, there's chuckers on the slope and huns up on top in the wheat field, mm-hmm. and they cross over. Gotcha. And so people will come up with mixed bags of mm. chuckers and huns so they are they're about the same in size 
Truckers are a little heavier. Huns is a uh, that's Nick, short, yeah, shorthand for Hungarian partridge, which are a non-native species in the U.S. Mm. but are one that you know just like might as well be now. Yeah, I mean, the, they're accepted like the, and they're seasoned. Like the People love yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I mean they are a great little, great little quarry. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the winter time, um, if you don't have a dog, which I didn't. Um, finding Huns is really hard without snow. Mm. Unless you know them really, really well and you know the places that they hang out really, really well, um, you're almost not going to see them. You might see them early in the morning or late in the evening on the shoulders of the road uh, picking gravel. But like a Hun in wheat stubble that doesn't want you to see it um, and there's no snow on the ground, you're not going to see it. They can lay down, and they're below the level of the wheat stubble, which is what they would do if you're walking or driving by. Yeah. And especially with a falcon in the air, they're not going to flush unless you're right on top of them or your falcon's out of position. Yeah. Um, so it's very hard to find them without snow. So luckily, we had a big amount of snow that year. I mean, in a lot of places, it was like mid-thigh. Um, and that's not just in drifts. That's like in a field. Um, but then the crazy thing was, is we had like layers. So like, it was like, it would be like powder and then it would like melt a little bit and then it would freeze. So you'd get a crust and then it would snow on top of that and you get a layer of powder and then it'd melt a little bit and freeze and you get crust. So even though in places you'd sink in down your thigh, maybe most of the time you'd only sink into your ankle. But you're standing on three feet of snow. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? That's it was like that. Yeah, and then also the, the consistency of the snow makes a big difference. So um, powder, uh, powdery snow with, with Huns is good because they can uh, bury themselves in it. They'll, they'll make what's called a dig. So you'll be like driving along on a back road or whatever, and you look out and you'll see like, a collection of spots, like maybe six or eight dots on a hillside. Hmm. And you pull your binoculars up, and this is in the snow, and uh, and you'll see these little heads poking up out of the snow. <laughs> and you're like, gotcha. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so the thing about powder is, is like you, you go hunt those huns, and when your falcon dives and stoops at them, the huns will actually dump or bail out, or dive into the snow to get away from the falcon. Hmm. Now, you get a crust on there, and that, I mean, when you're just a bloodthirsty savage like me at that stage, um, and you just want to kill him with your falcon by any means possible, um, and you're desperate, you want crust. You know what I mean? Because Well, I mean, it's... They can't be. The thing is, it makes it an honest flight. They either have to juke the falcon, or pull a move, or just outfly him. Right. There's so, no rat hunting. Right. So. And that's that. That term what drove me crazy. That term rat hunting, or a particular quarry being ratty, is a common colloquialism in falconry, and it kind of it varies a lot in the individuals and the species and what what is what, what falcon you're, you're yeah what falcon you're flying yeah chase huns with a female juror and they'll be rats no matter what yeah so 
the term ratty, my understanding of it is... Proclivity to run and hide as opposed to fly. And also, once they flush, the proclivity to, rather than continue flying, dump into the cover Mm -hmm. rather than try and outfly the falcon. Now, some species uh, are known for being honest, meaning Mm -hmm. they won't do that. Mm -hmm. They will try and use different tactics in the air Mm -hmm. to cause the falcon to miss miss or hit hit them in a way that doesn't cause any real uh, serious damage to Mm -hmm. the bird. Or Or even they'll try to intimidate the falcon by, like, flying straight at them. Right. Yeah. Yeah, or, yeah. Or, Or they'll slow down and, like, let him hit him, and kind like of, which happened yeah. later with a with a prairie chicken. He kind of flexed on Selena, and she yeah, so, whinnied out. Yeah, it's we'll inter- talk about it's, that. it's it's effective. You oh know, they've, yeah, they've definitely like one thing that comes to mind, which I don't know if you guys have seen this at the videos of Hubara. Yeah, which are uh, I don't know if they're a gallinule in the gallinule G- family. Gallinaceous. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, I think so. Well, but they're kind of like a. I don't know where they fall because they're kind of shorebird looking, kind of turkey looking. Mm-hmm. They're this very queen's bus- bustard. That's okay, their that's official the, name. That's or hubara bustard. Yeah. Okay. So they're this very interesting looking bird that yeah. is found. Uh, I guess it's considered an upland bird found in sort. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what you'd call it. Uh, in the Middle East yeah. is where it's found. And one of the crazy things that they'll do, you know, I, I think there's kind of two different kinds of flights. One type of flight is way high. Yeah. That they, you know, like two, 3,000 feet that yeah. a lot of these pursuits are happening at. Just, cra- you know, crazy flights. And then the other ones are on the deck. Mm-hmm. A lot of these guys are flying them with jurors and sakers because they're a pretty, the hubara are pretty good-sized birds. And mm-hmm. the hubara will be on the ground after the falcon either comes in and grabs it and it puts into into cover or strikes at it or just bullies it into the ground. Mm -hmm. They hit the ground and then the hubara will play this game of chicken where Mm -hmm. they stick their uh, like they fan like a turkey. Yeah, like their tail their tail feathers up in the air and And then fan their wings out too. Right. So they look as big as possible. And they then when, when the falcon comes in to strike at them, they duck down. Yeah. They, and they duck their head and all their vulnerable parts low and keep that fan high so that the falcon comes in and hits just that fan them on and the just butt. doesn't do anything to them. Yeah, it just prairie hits chickens feathers. do it too. Do they really? Yeah, they'll stick to And I'm guessing sage grouse too. Hmm. Um, just stick their butt up in the air and let the falcon go by and hit them. And when the falcon is, you know finishing off his momentum one direction the grouse takes off the other direction yeah yeah but and you can't blame the prey nah, from... I, I, you kind of can't <laughs> i blame him fly like a man <laughs> die like a man but it's you know you can't blame them it's it's their survival instinct and it is effective but yeah. it does get frustrating at times whenever you're yeah. flying i mean falcon i want it you... to be like my falcon's flight versus the quarry's flight yeah. That that to me is like that's honest pursuit, you know? I mean it's like Sure. No, I yeah. like that's the desire is you want to see either 
that falcon come down as fast as it can and and that bird you know juke in the air make a move put the brakes on at the last second you know crank out you know and really fly fast faster than it was initially in the first part of the flush you know you want it that's what you're after is yeah. to see something spectacular yeah well that's and, why or people to love... see them just absolutely pile drive something into the freaking dirt mm-hmm. you know whack it so hard that you just see a big puff of feathers you know i've heard of guys having falcons hit ducks so hard they decapitate them in the air like mm-hmm. I, that they hit them hard from yeah. time to time and that's what you want to see you know ideally is you're seeing something spectacular but you know they're they the Huns, pheasants, mm-hmm. quail of different species, they don't care about that. Mm-hmm. They are just trying to survive. Right. And they have done so successfully for a lot longer than we've been here chasing with falcons. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so. But, uh, yeah, so they, they know how to use powdery snow to their advantage. Mm-hmm. But you get a crust on there, and if they were to try to dump into the crust, they'd just bounce off of it, you know? Um, and so they would try... To dump in, not knowing that if it was... If they were really intimidated, yeah. So they... Okay. When it was powdery, did they have more of a proclivity to go dump, in? yeah. Okay. For so sure. they kind of knew. They know the... Di- Huns know the difference between powder and crust. Even when they're flying. Because you'd have one area that would be crusty and one area that would be powder, depending sometimes. Yeah, well, depending on melting out. and... Yeah, yeah. Okay. Could be. Okay. Because I get... I, I lived out there yeah. in this area for uh, a short period of time in middle school. Um, and it's where I didn't get out that much whenever I was there, so I didn't really mm-hmm. know kind of what the terrain was. But it's fairly flat out in the wheat fields and stuff, so it's not like you're you've got mm. big topography changes where you'll have. Mm, no, I I would disagree. I got out there thinking that like I could just run out to the top of this hill real quick and look over the top of it, and pretty quickly realized like <laughs> I don't know the scale of the landscape out there is different than it is here in Missouri or Kansas. Like, no, no, I, I get that. I'm not, the hills are big. Yeah. You know, and there's uh, what are they called? Coolies, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I, that's not what I was meaning. I was meaning that there's not major grades out in the wheat fields where you're going to have different snow. Oh, like, oh, like okay. where it's, you know, when you've got, in canyon country or whatever, mm-hmm. in areas where you've got these uh, uh, lots of folds to the landscape and stuff, that it, where it, you know, on one side of this, you know, I don't know. I, I guess yeah, I'm no, I hear what you're saying. Articulate what I'm getting at. Yeah, but. like where shady places right. and yeah. sunny places. And yeah, it's there's, there to there's, some extent. There's some, but it's not. But yes, I get what you're saying. Yeah. So the first few flights. Selena wouldn't stoop at coveys, groups. She wouldn't mm-hmm. do it. She would go up. She'd come overhead. I'd flush the covey. Nothing. Wouldn't even blink at him. Wouldn't start stoop. Nothing. And so finally, um, you know, I was like, oh, I was so frustrated because I had everything. I had a falcon that would go up to a really nice pitch and come straight overhead. Everything's perfect. I orchestrated some beautiful slips. And then your falcon doesn't stoop. Like, Would she just even like, no. come down and just... she'd just keep going up. And it was like... Mm. It was... Because <laughs> you're, <laughs> wish... you're like, I've been trying so hard to get you to go up. 
and now I just want you to come down. <laughs> you know, I, wish I you mean, could see the look on Graham's face. It's like, just, I mean, you perplexed. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and she, yeah, she would go up really nice, and um, wouldn't stoop. So then, finally, one time, uh, I flushed the covey. She didn't stoop, and then a single got up, mm. and she stooped. And I was like, okay, so what I need to do is find like smaller groups, you know, twos, mm-hmm. threes. And like, while I wouldn't do that now because I have kind of ethical qualms about it, because Huns pair up. And so if you kill one out of a pair, then, you know, you're maybe killing next year's population because they were already paired up and we're going to breed. Maybe. Uh,. But to enter my falcon, I was, I'll do it, you know. Um, so I found a pair, um, marked them, put the bird up. She goes and lands on a telephone pole. And that might have been the first time that she ever sat when mm-hmm. we were hunting. Um, and I was like, ugh. And so then she takes off. Goes downwind, comes back at like 400 feet, and I'm still like 50 yards away from these Huns, or where I left them, and they bust, and so, okay, so I'm facing north, Selena's like to my north, uh, west. At your 9 o'clock? Uh-huh, at about 9 o'clock, and the Huns take off at 3 o'clock. And, or, or the Huns take off flying towards 3 o'clock, straight gotcha. east. Selena is a little bit upwind, which is advantageous. And so she stoops, and the two Huns are flying out across a pasture, across the snow. And Selena comes in, and, you know, you hear that telltale hiss. <laughs> smacks this Hun on the butt knocks it down, bounces it in the snow, it rolls, and she throws up or pitches up. So and she th- takes takes that momentum and uses it to gain a little bit of altitude. Right, and then banks around to come take another smack at it, and the hun is like just standing up and getting its bearings, you know, and it actually starts to vocalize a little bit and um, kind of like play the hubara game Mm. so this is a thing uh huns are chivalrous so like if you flush a pair this is what a falconer told me and it's been true in my experience as well if you flush a pair um the male will fly slower on purpose Hmm. in an attempt to try to divert the predator from the female that's so interesting and so she um Knocked it down, threw up, and then was coming back. And the thing started to do... They do this... They kind of fan their tail and kind of twitch it and kind of try to make themselves look as big as possible, as Mm -hmm. big as a hun can look. And uh, it started to vocalize at her, you know, which is this real raspy sound. And she just... (laughs) Just smoked it. <laughs> and was, not, was not impressed. No, she was not intimidated. And so she grabbed it and... So did she, when she, after when pitching she, up, did she bind to it? Yeah, or, okay. bound to okay. it. And 
So that means like came in, used her feet, grabbed it, and held onto it. Not yeah, didn't just hit it again. She yeah. grabbed it. Which they'll hit them with their feet, you know, open and extended and right. rake them with mm-hmm. their talons. Yeah, she just bound to it. Okay. And so there I am, jaw on the ground. It's official. Like I've done it. Like a year and a half, almost two years of work. No, not not two years. Two seasons, almost two complete seasons, and like, I've arrived. I have a made falcon. She goes up, she comes overhead, she goes high consistently, and she's just taken her first head of wild quarry. Yeah, and you probably wouldn't have used the term made at this point in time, but you're, I mean, like, it's... Made? I'm calling her made. Maybe, maybe you would have. She was know. made. I when mean, I, th- when I... Do you I think, know. like... Consistent, consistently taking game, and I mean, okay. in that hunt, she, well, ever, she went and sat on a telephone was, pole. Okay, so it's she was not like, entered. Okay, we'll call it entered. Okay. No, no, I'm, not, I'm not trying to challenge you. I just she okay. That's not. But what she was I consistent forever after that. Okay, so when I think of maid, again, I'm not trying to challenge you. It's just my mm-hmm. interpretation. You're just of the talking word. shit on my bird. That's all. <laughs> no. No, I, you know I love Selena. I will forever have a soft spot in my heart for that bird. Mm-hmm. Um, She's rolling I, over in her grave right now. <laughs> um, when I think of mate, I think of a bird that, you know, consistently plays the game without any hiccups. You know, or I, I just, I wouldn't call a bird mate after the, like, taking, after the her, first taking her head. first head of game. Here's now, the thing. Now Here's the difference wrong. I would make. Because there's so much in a falcon by the time you've taken your first head. It whereas like with a red tail, you could go out and stumble into a rabbit and kill it and catch sure. it and, and like like I've caught rabbits with a bird that was not steady. You yeah. know what I mean? Like and had trouble getting her down out of trees after that. Like she was not a for sure we're going out and for sure we're coming home kind of bird mm-hmm. until a few rabbits in. Until gotcha. I got her weight really fine-tuned. With a falcon, I would say, this is my, just my own personal definition, I would say because there's so much already done and like so much effort already put in and so much already taught, like catching, catching quarry after doing all... Like you've already cleared the hard stuff. You've, you've mm-hmm. cleared the hurdle. You have a bird that goes up and comes overhead without any direct incentive, yeah. and is hawkable. Yeah, that's no, what I, I would and call I hear. It. And you, like I said, you were there. Yeah. You know, it's your bird, and so if that's the term you would use, then I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Uh, Maybe it's not proper. I don't know. It's well, yeah. Like you were, cons- she. You have we a, were. You have we a lot were more. We were hawking. We we were, and she did stoop one other time before that. No, two other times, and we and we didn't connect but the thing is like we were hawking consistently before that sure so so, so I, I i understand your point and i get you know it, it's probably is fair enough to call her more of a made bird uh in that you know you consistently reclaimed her in dynamic situations from different different places mm-hmm. different things that happened through those hunts different you know times of her being turned out going overhead and being able to be called down and consistently chase bagged game and all that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, 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 I guess, yeah, I, I concede to your 
point there. Good. Um, well, I, I hate to cut it short, but I actually have to take my girlfriend to her birthday dinner. Okay. So I got to bail. But we could, we're, there, I have a few more stories I want to share about season number two that are pretty fun. Um, so we'll get into them next time. But I just, I got to wrap it up. Sounds good. So thanks for listening. Check us out on our website, tail chase.com. Email any questions, comments, concerns to the tail chase guys at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Happy Hawkins.